Welcome to Startup Hacks, a We Global podcast. We explore the stories and secret strategies that women entrepreneurs use to save time and money when bootstrapping and building their businesses. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina. Welcome back to another episode of Startup Hacks. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina, and today I'm very excited to welcome Willow Hill. Willow is an award-winning chief creative officer and the co-founder of Scout Lab, a creative agency building the purpose-driven brands of tomorrow. Prior to building Scout Lab, Will was an early member of the Airbnb global brand team and is now an advisor to companies that focus on building climate crisis solutions. Welcome, Willow. Hi, Fernanda. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm so excited to have you and to share you with our listeners because I think your story is such a unique one and such an inspiring one. So if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you if you can um, share with us a little bit about your background and how you grew up and how you got started in your professional career. Yeah, absolutely. I I will agree. It's maybe not the most common uh, you know, path to becoming an entrepreneur. I actually was raised uh, from an early age with kind of a sense of grit and responsibility. Uh, my mom was 16 when she had me, and I grew up watching her really put herself through college when I was in elementary school. She kind of modeled for my sister and I what it meant to have big dreams but not make excuses uh, based on where you come from or what kind of resources you have. So I feel like that really set me up for what was to come later in life. I started working at the age of 15, uh, you know, the, a little bit of the usual, so restaurants, retail, and then worked my way through college. So I was fortunate to get a uh, scholarship, which was great, but it didn't cover all of my bills. So I worked uh, multiple jobs trying to make sure that I uh, really was able to achieve the things that I wanted to achieve. Um, so that was a little bit of my kind of early, early life and career. I think you know, you see a lot of entrepreneurs that take a similar path, whether it's uh, getting an MBA or having, you know, kind of a perfect track record on things. And so I, I love to encourage people to know that you can come from really any background or any walk of life um, and have any kind of start to life and still be able to pursue your dreams. 100% beautifully said. Very true. All right, so you're missing you're missing some of the fun stories that you shared with me that I, I really think are so fabulous that people need to hear them because I think that oftentimes, especially um, kids who are in college, um, don't necessarily feel like there is an opportunity for them to kind of step into the spotlight when they are either actively involved in a company as an intern or just passively involved in an activity that involves a corporation that can put you in the spotlight. And I was so impressed by your story that you shared with me. And I believe it was regarding, I, I don't want to make a mistake, so I'll let you share the story. I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I do. So when I was in college, I, uh, I had visited a, a Red Bull event. Um, if some of you guys are familiar with, it's an energy drink, but went to one of their events and kind of noticed that it was a really incredible event, but not a lot of people there. And so I decided I would reach out and see if there was an opportunity opportunity for me to kind of create a role where I was a little bit of a liaison. So getting people to their events, that's a little bit of how it started. I wasn't really sure necessarily what, whether they were going to say yes or no or completely be offended that I even <laughs> brought up, uh, you know, the poor outcome. But that 
parlayed into me working there for about four years and uh, really getting the opportunity to manage things that I never would have been able to manage. So I was doing, you know, marketing and events. I helped launch Red Bull Magazine and for Red Bull Media House um, in the city that I was in. So that was really incredible. And I think to your point, Fernanda, a lot of people don't necessarily look at a problem and think, hey, what? how can I uh, solve this? Or how can I come to a company with a solution rather than asking for a job? Uh, it's it's actually a, a great piece of advice I got from a friend when I was starting out early in my career. I didn't realize I had been maybe doing it a little bit the whole time, but he said, I, I think I asked him, hey, you know, what is something I need to know about interviewing? Um, something that you would, like a recommendation that you would give not to forget. And he said, uh, his name is Brian. Brian said, never forget that you are there to offer an outcome and they want you to come with solutions rather than asking, like needing a job. Mm -hmm. I think it's just a really good way to reframe the way you think about everything, um, no matter what the job is, right? Whether it's being a barista or working in retail, if you're early on in college, there's always opportunities for you to fill gaps if you see them. I think that's actually a great piece of advice. And when you look at it on the, you know, kind of a face value, it seems so obvious. But oftentimes when you do go into those interviews, um, you are really kind of hat in hand um, and aren't really thinking about the fact that you bring value to the table. And you not only do you need to present it in marketing yourself, but be actively involved in showing them how you bring and how you can solve a current problem. Yeah, exactly. And in this case, uh, you know, I was at the time I was using MySpace, uh, which if anyone remembers MySpace, <laughs> it's kind of laughable now because at the time Red Bull actually didn't have any social media channels. Uh, but I was uh, running events probably against the better will of a lot of people at corporate, but it was working. And I think, you know, as we start to see any type of emerging technology or if you start to see any emerging trends, bringing those to your employer and saying, hey, I think there's opportunity here. It's happening all the time around us, and there's always a chance uh, to be able to do that at any time. Absolutely. So then how? tell us about Airbnb. How did that come about? Yeah, so uh, I started work at Airbnb in 2012 when I was actually working for uh, my previous boss and mentor, Scott Bedberry. And Scott uh, actually worked on building Nike Just Do It. Uh, he took Starbucks from being this little co corner coffee shop to what it is today. And I had the, uh, you know, the pleasure of being able to work under him and learn what he knew about brands. Uh, that was a little bit of a funny story as well. I actually read his book in college and uh, just became completely impassioned with the process of brand building and the concept of building something larger than a product, building an idea, building a concept, um, building a, a type of lifestyle that people could kind of get behind. And Scott was really what I considered the, the guru of, of how to do that. So working for Scott, I had the opportunity to build brands from the ground up and think about uh, these kind of bigger picture problems. And in that process, uh, one of our first, one of my first clients that I was working with was Airbnb. So I was embedded there uh, for the firm with uh, Joe, Brian, Nate, in the early days, working on everything from brand values to understanding, you know, what does a community-driven brand really look like? And how do we want to create a sense of belonging and a sense of uh, 
taking something that is right at the time in 2012, a product that a lot of people think is kind of strange, right? Sleeping in a stranger's bed is maybe one of the scariest things mm-hmm. you could do if you don't think that it's a, a everyday kind of activity, which at the time it wasn't, um, to being a globally loved brand, um, mm-hmm. something that people are opening their homes, right? They're, they're visiting other people in other parts of the world. That can be really scary. So I was working on all of that kind of foundational big brand questions uh, for over a year. And then the founders asked me to, to jump ship and come over and, and work for them at Airbnb, which I got the, I was very lucky to get the blessing of, of Scott in that process. And, uh, you know, he was very supportive and just said, I, I was I built Nike, I built Starbucks. I know I know the desire to go build something and I, I fully support it. Um, which was amazing because I think having those type of mentors along the path is so pivotal to success. And I think you were, I mean, 25, 26 at the time. I mean, how old were you when this was all going on? So 23. 23. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, mo- so most people early. that are listening, yeah, most people who are listening are thinking, wow, that's, it's really remarkable. And so when you, uh, when you looked at kind of the landscape and in, in the patina of the work that you had already achieved at such a young age. And then you started to think about having your own business. I mean, walk us through a little bit what was going on in your head, because most people who are listening to this are thinking, wow, I mean, why wouldn't you stay at Airbnb or why wouldn't you stay in the corporate world? I mean, what what made you want to leave and start your own business? Yeah, I so I always wanted my own business. I have a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit, so I always knew that that would be something that I would do. Um, there was actually a few times I tried and failed at starting something, which I feel like every as just a rite of passage for most entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. But um, when it really hit home was actually when I met my co-founder. Uh, it was a, a really wonderful experience because we both just had. I had just moved to New York. After um, having left Airbnb, I took a little hiatus in Europe and moved to New York. And when I met my founder, my co-founder there, she and I had such an aligned vision on what we felt like was missing. So again, going back to this idea of what is the missing piece? What is that white space or what is that problem that needs to be solved that maybe only you can solve in this case? And for us, we felt that brands really lacked soul. So in, and we're, we're fast forwarding a few years here. This is after Airbnb was rebranded and scaled to a global brand. But in 2017, you know, Trump had just gotten elected. There were a lot of companies appropriating Black Lives Matter. Uh, the horrendous Pepsi commercial comes to mind. A lot of brands were kind of starting to toe dip in this world of what does it look like to participate in culture? And a lot of them were really getting it wrong. And a lot of that was because they didn't really have values in the first place. They were just trying to, they were just trying to create a stunt. And so, being very mission-driven minded people, we immediately knew that this was something that we needed to do. We needed to help more brands at a faster pace really discover what it was um, that they were creating that could help shift culture, shift this narrative, and build something much bigger. And did you find in some cases that, you know, having a, a company kind of discover their values or, or their heart was difficult? For some, I think it comes faster for some than others. There are certainly some people who we ex, who experience in our business that are immediately mission driven and kind of have a 
a clear vision for who they are and what they do. There are others who take a little bit of um, a little bit of help getting there. I think sometimes people are afraid to step into their power and to step into that vision of what what they're creating could actually become. Uh, because ultimately, it takes it takes admitting to yourself that you what you're creating does have an impact on the larger the larger society, the larger culture. And I think people who are maybe a little bit more humble or not ready to step into that place take a little bit longer of a time getting there. I'm thinking of one uh, brand that we worked with specifically where all of the founders are just complete visionaries and such incredible people. But when and I assumed that their vision would just be so grand, and when we finally got into you know our our mission vision workshop it really fell flat and I was shocked. And in that experience, I realized there's just, it's more of, of just owning it and being able to have people around you that help you to codify that vision and to step into it more than anything else. And, and also I would imagine to feel comfortable giving yourself permission to be bold. Yes, absolutely. I I think that's honestly what uh, the, the secret thing that life's about is just giving each other permission. Um, so much of what we do is confirming with entrepreneurs, no, you're not crazy. This is actually a great idea. Let's let's go for it. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly, I found that even between my co-founder and myself, a lot of our success and can be contributed to the incredible community around us that we've built. You know, mm-hmm. similar to like we global and all these incredible communities where at the heart of it, you need people that see a bigger vision. You need people that think in a bigger way that can uh, really help support you in stepping into a bigger vision rather than uh, I call it yuck, yuck your yum. Right. The people who maybe aren't along for the ride or aren't going to to really want you to uh, step into your big self. Right. And also, I think that there's a lot of shame involved with failure. And there's a lot of shame involved with um, claiming a big vision, because then you feel like, oh, God, now I have to deliver it. And what if I don't? But at the same time, I would say, and, and let me know if you disagree, that you're never really going to achieve greatness if you set the bar too too low. Absolutely. And you're also probably never going to achieve greatness if you create a create a vision that you alone can achieve or that, you know, in the next five years you can achieve it. And most most entrepreneurs, that's a little bit of, of what's driving them is that insatiable hunger and curiosity for the new and to create. So if you create something bigger than yourself, you're always going to be driven towards it. Absolutely. So let's talk about your business. So walk us through, you've now opened your agency. What was that like for you? Was that a scary time in your life or were you just thrilled from day one? (laughs) I would say a little bit of both. I think day one, I was thrilled. Day three, I was terrified. And then, you know, day four, (laughs) the process started all over again. (laughs) Um, I, I do always say that I, I feel blessed to have a co-founder because I do see a lot of individuals uh, that are solo entrepreneurs and I have so much respect for it because I think a lot of taking the scary scary part out was to have uh, a partner that jumped jumped off the cliff <laughs> at the same time, right? You have someone to look at and say like, I'm not, am, am I losing it? Um, and they can confirm or deny, which is always helpful. Um, when we started the company, I was... 
in my, let's see, I was 27 when I started Scout Lab uh, with my co-founder, Caitlin Barclay, who's also um, just, I think, a month younger than I am. And we were living in New York. Like I mentioned, we had a lot of these uh, just egregious <laughs> brand faux pas happening left and right. And we had both had a lot of, I would say, early success in building brands and building companies, specifically in the digital age. We understand what it takes to not only have a strong story, but to build and scale a brand uh, on the internet, <laughs> which is, it sounds kind of obvious, but there's so many companies out there that really forget that they are one company. So much of what they have, uh, so much of what they do will be internal politics. So one side of your company won't talk to the other side. And then, you know, as a result, your customers don't know what you stand for, why you exist. And the same thing has happened with digital. A lot of people will say, well, I'm not a tech company, um, or I don't need a website, or, you know, any of these ridiculous uh, things. And, you know, after this year, I think everyone knows they need a website. But all of these ancillary channels that I think were very mysterious to a lot of brands needed to be codified into a, a really easy way to understand how to build and scale a brand. And so that's what we set to work doing. We created something called the Brand Sprint, which was taking product sprint methodology for anyone who's familiar with building technical products. Uh, we borrowed this kind of sprint stand-up model from that because we both had experience in tech and found it was really effective in decision-making and then applied that to creative work so that we were able to really work with teams, specifically mostly tech companies in the beginning, but now you know we work across CPG, fashion, food, uh, we work across a ton of different categories and the process still works effectively for all of them. It's just a matter of making sure that we're thinking holistically about a, about a problem and about a customer and not in silos, which is so often of, of what we see. So that was a little bit of our, our impetus. It was quite terrifying when we first put our, we called it, we call I guess our MVP, our um, our minimal viable product of our brand sprint, when we initially put it out, I don't think we necessarily expected it to take off. Um, we got our first client and, of course, we're thrilled, but also worked ourselves to the bone just trying to deliver our, our first uh, kind of pieces of, of what we had. And then our second client was Adidas, which was kind of shocking. So mm -hmm. they came to us, they got referred, they heard about the brand sprint, and they wanted to work with us. And I think that was a little bit of a shock because we initially were planning on working with smaller brands. And what we realized very quickly was that larger brands need, need direction too. They need, they want to be nimble. They want to be digital. They want all the same things that small brands need. It's just a matter of scale. So that was kind of an interesting and terrifying time. Wow. I think, um, I think that it's so interesting to see how oftentimes you kind of set course as an entrepreneur and you think you're headed one way and then you end up going, you know, 90 degrees the other way, completely unintended. Um, but it's really what your destiny was. Yeah, you honestly never know. And you'll get advice from so many people. I remember early on, we got a lot of advice that we needed to deeply specialize and focus on what doing this one, one specific thing really well. And we debated over it and, you know, talked about it and ultimately decided that our business was more diverse than that, that it, to build a holistic brand, you do need more than just a really incredible design discipline, right? You need to understand communications and social media 
And ultimately, that ended up being what helped our business thrive during the pandemic uh, was the fact that we were diversified. And had we taken advice from other people, we, we might not even still be here today. What about your startup hacks that you feel that were really helpful to you in the early days when you were starting your company, or maybe even now, that saved you time, money, gained a competitive edge, helped you with efficiencies, you know, whatever it may have been, where you feel that you're working smart and it's been impactful for you? What would you say would be like your top three? So I would say number one would be when working with a co-founder specifically, creating rules of the road up front. So establishing your norms, how do you interact? What hours are you going to work? Uh, you know, how are you getting paid? Is it equally having those hard conversations sooner? Um, maybe it sounds a little bigger than a hack and slightly obvious, but it's something that we did. We decided early on in our business to do and saved us so much time and so much money in the long run because we were really aligned. So it's something I would recommend is to anyone that has a co-founder going into it, really align yourself with what are those rules of the road. Number two is... I would say get a coach. I, I know coaching at times can feel like it's out of the budget or, you know, something that's extra. But if you're an entrepreneur, you're responsible for your own growth. There's no one at the end of the day who's going to ask you, you know, if you're if you're growing or if you're doing better or work with you on your blind spots. So working with a coach is a really good way to make sure that you're holding yourself accountable to you and to your business. And then three, I would say, maybe this is a, a little bit more of, of a, a, a tool, but calm.com is something I use. I use the app, uh, mm. but certainly you can use any app. Meditation has been a really incredible tool for me. I'm also, uh, I'm, I'm also ADD, so meditation is just key to my uh, overall well-being, but I find that it helps you build resilience and lessen the emotional impact of that reactivity that can happen from day to day when you're starting a new business. So any type of meditation practice, I would certainly recommend. Those are all really great. Three very good suggestions. Thank you. So I have one last question because unfortunately we're running low on time. Um, kind of a fun question and something a little different. And that is, um, kind of the meaning of success. A lot of us founders, we, we set off on our own um, respective journeys for our own reasons. And there's kind of a, an end point that I think we all want to attain, whether it's financial freedom or whatever it may be. Um, what for you, what would you say if you uh, were to look back that when you set off on this journey, that your what would be your definition of, of success uh, or how has it changed? I guess two, two part answer to that. One is that I think creative freedom for me has always been really important in making sure that I'm able to focus my energy, my talents, my skills set in this life on the things that I feel like are, are most important. And certainly that shifts over time. And so being able to maintain that uh, kind of, like I said, creative freedom is really important. Um, in terms of success for a business, I would agree Every that's something that everyone can kind of measure on their own. Um, but I would say f be feeling truly fulfilled and 
and enjoying what you do is so, so important. I think, you know, we all have these, you know, big goals or big dreams, but ultimately if we are not enjoying the ride or learning and growing in the process, it's not, no, no matter what numbers you hit, is it, is it even success at the end of the day? And so I am also thinking from that perspective of, um, you know, is it something that is ultimately fulfilling? And for me, being an entrepreneur is the most fulfilling path that I could have uh, chosen. Well, I agree. Thank you so much, Willow. It was really great to have you on the show. And I think your insights were really valuable to the audience. If people would like to learn more about your company and the work that you do, do you want to share a website? Yeah, um, they can head over to scoutlab.com, scoutlab. Um, and you can also find us on Instagram. Perfect. Awesome. Well, Thanks thank you. Thank you again for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And tune in next week for another episode of Startup Hacks and where we get to interview another fabulous female founder on her entrepreneurial journey. We'll see you then. Thank you for joining Startup Hack. Tune in next week for more interviews. We have another great show you won't want to miss on the secret female founder strategies that can save you time and money when building your business. This podcast is brought to you by Women Entrepreneurs Global, the first startup studio and digital do-it-yourself startup platform for women. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit womenentrepreneurs.global. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina. See you next week.